This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 373, patently, virtually, hard to beat. Hello and welcome again to another edition of GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly or almost weekly, no, mostly weekly, uh, technology podcast where we talk about games, work, uh, games at work, working at games, and a whole bunch of other stuff that are related to that in one form or another. This is Michael Martin, one of your co-hosts who's with you here today, and uh, I'd like to toss things over to Michael, uh, Mr. Rowe, to say hello to you. Hey, Michael. Hello to you. I said it. Yeah, Woo-hoo. that was good for you. <laughs> you know, and if this is your first episode listening, this is weekly. It's every week, and you should plan on it. And if you, if we happen to miss a week, you could still listen to a show weekly. Matter of fact, you could listen to our show every day. There's a back catalog going back to, what, 2010? Wow, you could. Uh, and you could listen to every single episode. And that would give you plenty of time to catch up to where we are There'd be like today. 372 <laughs> previous so, episodes, because this is episode 373. So, yeah, something yeah, like that. I think we had, we, we, we also had episode zero, because right. we, we, we did have an episode zero. So, so you could spend, uh, anyway, listen to- uh, I'm so happy to be here with my friend, Andy. <laughs> Thank you very much. How Hi, are you? Uh, it's Andy here. Yeah, we've, um, we've got... <laughs> Over 365 episodes available to you, so that's at least an episode a day if you want to go back and listen from the beginning. And as you do so, what you'll discover not only um, is um, that we are, or at least we try to be, very nice uh, folks um, hosting the show every week, but you'll also have that gentle evolution of technology. If you start from zero and come all the way through to episode 372, Mm -hmm. 373, where we are right now, you hear all about how technology has changed through the last uh, just over a decade. You'll learn how um, social attitudes to things like privacy, gaming, interaction, community online, uh, and of course work have uh, have changed. So yeah, it's uh, exciting stuff. I'm excited to find out what uh, what's been announced or happened this week that affects those things. Yes. Um, as as we get started, I'm thinking about a podcast that I listen to that has something called the Hundred Percent Club, and the Hundred Percent Club are those people that go back and listen to the entire catalog of the podcast right from the beginning. And I would like to offer to our listening audience right here that if you do that, we will absolutely give you a shout out on the show, uh, reference you by by name. Uh, we might mention your favorite pet. Uh, if you have a game that you think is really cool, we'll do that as well. So if, if you somehow manage to make the 100% club, just let us know and we'll do that. And even if you're a current listener who's been listening for a while, so not just starting today and going back, but you could be a current listener. We'll we'll give you a shout out. <laughs> uh, so talking about shout outs and um, some shout outs that we don't want to give, uh, the, the first article of the day is around Ars Technica. It deals with robocallers, uh, people that you don't really want to hear from 
necessarily unless you have a new car and that is about to lose its car warranty or something like that. And the FCC in the United States, that's the Federal Communications Committee, for those of you who are not familiar with that terminology, um, have closed at least one loophole. And I like this article just because of the name of the authorization technology that's there. It's shaken, or sorry, it's stir slash shaken, uh, as opposed to shaken, not stirred, um, for caller ID authentication. Um, Michael, you started off the conversation today saying just today on 1 July, you had a call come in that may have actually benefited from this new ruling. Yeah. uh, So let's face it. We get a lot of spam. (laughs) (laughs) We get a lot. Um, And as, as more and more businesses require you to provide them with a phone number to do business, one of the great loopholes that they get is if you provide them with a phone number, uh, the the rules in the U.S. are is anybody who you've given your number to to do business can then use that to call yeah. you at any time to talk about your home warranty, your car warranty, you know, that they're from Microsoft and they notice a virus on your computer. If they could just log in right now, they can fix it for you. Uh, so, so what a lot of companies, uh, apparently do, I won't say they actually do. I'm going to say apparently is they then sell that information to other companies that collect it together and then spammers get it and they call you at all hours on stupid stuff. So I don't answer the phone, right? I mean, the phone, if you know, if you want to reach me, leave a message, I can hear it on the one machine and I, on my other devices, I'll call you back. If you're in my under's book, I'll probably pick up. But anyway, having said that this morning, which is a day after this new rule goes in effect from the FCC for small and medium businesses, right? Large enterprise businesses were required to adhere to this for over a year now. Um, so the small medium businesses are now required to implement stir shaken uh, technology uh, to help identify spammers. And uh, I was uh, downstairs earlier today and I looked at my watch and it said, like it normally does, silence call. But this was silence call spam risk. Uh, so I haven't seen that very often. And uh, looks like uh, hopefully it's uh, gone into effect and is going to reduce the amount of crap that tries to call me. <laughs> Andy, I'm curious in the UK, how much us. of this do you experience and what's what's going on there to prevent these unwanted calls? Thank you for asking. And that's um, it, it's actually relevant. I, I've seen um, uh, definitely seen an increase in. Uh, junk calls, um, typically robotized or at least um, initiated by robot calls. Um, I will generally notice them if I do pick up. The numbers, they're, they're very good at um, using potentially um, numbers that are close to ones that you might recognize or, or that might you know might, might be somehow realistic. They're, they're, they've got some method for, for grabbing those or using those or, or masking themselves as those. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do fit, pick up, you typically get that pause and click as the system connects and realizes that a human's answered and puts you through. I do get a lot of them that are um, wanting to um, either sell me a new cell phone contract or something like that, um, or um, I, I get quite a few that want to send me stuff via email, which is presumably phishing for my um, email address as well. Um, I had one this week, um, I, which wasn't. It, it was a it was a survey actually about self-driving vehicles which was quite interesting um, 
they weren't able to tell me exactly. I mean, they basically didn't. I did when I asked how they had my details. They were they were able to tell me that they purchased my details from you know a certain database, um, which made sense. And it was actually in the end that survey, particular survey was interesting, and I did go through with it. I didn't have to give away much additional personal information other than the fact that they already had a number for me. Um, anyway, what I'm interested in, um, apart from the annoyance of receiving them and i think the 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 iphone the apple tech is particularly has been historically particularly bad particularly here and Mm -hmm. um shutting them down and um sweeping them away is the prevalence of this stir shaken um protocol that you were mentioning so there's a a wikipedia page I've, i've gone to check out and it does say here that it's uh uh, a, a major ongoing effort in the United States that's suffering from an epidemic of robocalls, which is a quote from an article. Uh, um, obviously, this story refers to the FCC, which is obviously a US-centric body. Um, I am very curious to know how this can be um, internationalized um, or whether, in fact, it ever would be. Um, a couple of the YouTube channels that I subscribe to are from folks who will um scam bait so when they receive these uh these calls they will literally <laughs> track down the the call centers and start asking questions and even to the point of you know showing the person calling um that you know they, they pretend to be you know a, a helpless you know a person who's not technically capable but in the meantime keep them talking figure out exactly which call center in which country they're in um all of this kind of stuff that it, it's fascinating the amount to which if you do have that level of te- skill technical skill you can sort of get back at these folks um and of course a lot of the people that are operating the actually on the end of the phone are themselves you know in bad positions right because they're taking low paid jobs because right. they're desperate even though they're not good quality and they're just annoying other people so, yeah, I, I'm curious to know. I, I also kind of rolled my eyes when I saw this uh, shaken thing. It, it seems to be a, a very US-centric, a US-specific thing that, you know, big regulations and so on have to have their fun acronym. Um, you know, and even how, <laughs> however much they bend, you know, the actual word wording to actually make the fun acronym. Yeah. Uh, so uh, well, it's because people won't listen to them unless it has a fun right, acronym. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if it's too long and complicated sounding, then it's um, just not interesting. Who knows? I don't think it's going to have much of an effect at all. But we'll see what happens. I'm, I'll be. Well, what what I, what I find interesting about this and other uh, aspects of it, right, is uh, you know the the carriers themselves are not necessarily incented to do the right thing here because you can pay for an extra service by some of the carriers that will help block spam fall yes spam calls it's like wait a minute you've helped enable this industry of spam and now you want me to pay you even more so that i don't get the spam that you helped create it's 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 a racket it's a good business model isn't it get you coming and going mate I, uh, yeah, that's one way of calling it. <laughs> the, the other, the other thing that this l- leads me to think about is is just the proliferation of messaging and what you subscribe to and what you don't want to subscribe to and how you manage that. It's, this is just one other communication vehicle. So, Michael, like you, I have my phone set typically to do not allow 
um, messages to come through if you are not in my address book already. And mm-hmm. I have, I've had that on for quite a while, but I've also had to turn it off on more than one occasion because there are times when I'm need to be contacted by entities that are definitely not in my address book, or I don't know what they're going to call from. So yeah. I've, I've encountered my, that's fear. why I never give them my cell number. I always give them our landline, yeah. which, I mean, is, I which has an answering machine. And I tell them in advance and I say, look, there's an answering machine. You need to start talking after the message well, finishes. I, I don't because we will screen the call. If you don't talk, I assume you're not trying to reach well, me. I don't have a have a landline, and I don't want one. Um, and I, I like Michael. I've um, especially recently had situations where I've needed to pick up more or less any call in case it was something medical or something else. So yes. um, that's that's also quite challenging. And of course, some places will be calling from a, um, a diversified network themselves, right? Because they'll be, you know, they'll have a single, they'll have multiple numbers, but outbound, maybe one inbound. So you can't just put them in your address book easily. So for sure. So let, let's move on to something equally controversial um, as, <laughs> as, as inbound calls that you don't want. Uh, how about patents you don't want or, or shouldn't be issued? Um, this TechDirt article uh, deals with a situation where open source concepts, in this case, 3D printing, have been used to submit for a patent application. And amazingly enough, it's been granted, which seems to be a little on the cray-cray side. Uh, well, I, I think all of us have worked on patents before mm-hmm. uh, and have had them issued. And so you know the process. And, and it is, you know... One of the things that you do is you do a search and you figure out if there is prior art or or some pre-existing patent, how can you better position what you've invented to be unique, Well, right? Uh, well, well, well there's, and, and Andy, you're disagreeing with that approach. Well, that, I'm not <laughs> disagreeing with it, but there is an, inter, an international angle here, right? So the, the folks that invented this 3D printing mechanism, which is um, based on uh, on hanging the head um, via uh, wires or cables, um, and essentially it's called a hang, it's called the hang printer. Um, so it's a frameless three D yep. set, uh, setup that, that that hangs from cables, um, and that was invented created by folks in uh, Sweden uh, who open sourced it, yep. and then folks in the US um, in the University of Tennessee and uh, the Battelle Institute. Um, and the Oak Ridge National Laboratory. Um, so there's a UT Battelle nonprofit venture decided to to take this to the, the you know the the US Patent Office. Um, now I don't recall exactly how what because it was 20 plus years ago that I that I submitted a patent uh, 20 years ago I think roughly maybe a little less anyway um, and worked on and I worked on a third of a patent with two colleagues um, and and it was submitted for me. Um, I don't recall how much international search was done, and even if that international search had been done, whether or not it would have been uh, some prior art abroad would have been seen as something that blocked something being patented in uh, in the US. So I know that this from from, from the patents from the patents I've submitted, in, and I've got one in search right mm. now. I mean, I've got you know it's made it through our internal patent process, and it's being searched actually no we've already responded to the res- to the search so um i expect it to be filed um and uh, the we did 
search outside of the U.S. for prior art, right? Uh, and and that's the key thing. Now, um, what I do find interesting about this is the prior art for that that hang printer reminds me a lot of the cameras in a soccer stadium. Oh yeah, yeah. Which if you've or any sports stadium nowadays, it's the same thing. You've got a movable head that can zoom around in in multiple dimensions in order to cover a large area with a narrow beam of information. Right? Uh, to me, that it it it's really what that that does. Except this information happens to be filament that is being pushed out to create a three dimensional object. But yeah, we we. Personal experience, we have done, or I have done, search outside of the country because the patents that I'm trying to file are to be patented in multiple countries, right? Which is a slight difference between what Andy was describing and 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 your your perspective here too, because yes, the um, th- this yeah. was apparently. I mean, we don't know what exactly happened, but if there hadn't been an international search and the U.S. Patent Office had no uh, ability to necessarily find that example from Sweden, yeah, you could be, have a patent granted, and there is a GoFundMe in place from the the folks from hang printer to say hey look this really shouldn't be patented because there's plenty of prior art uh, that prior art says it existed before you did the patent so therefore you cannot claim specific ownership um yeah uh, it, it's it's an intriguing international experience on this sort of thing because there are uh, situations where if you patent or you copyright something in one country it's not automatically you know handled in another country so we've seen right. examples of that before here too. The biggest beef I've got with this is that taking open source and then claiming it as your own feels just, it's wrong on yeah. like lots it of levels, wrong. right? I, I um, would like to recommend a book um, that I've been reading and I haven't quite finished them quite most of the way through, but I was reading it when I was on holiday um, last month. Uh, um, and it's called The Hardware Hacker by... Um, a guy who goes by the handle Bunny, also known, uh, also his name is Andrew Wang. He's also got a, a Chinese um, name, um, but he was the guy that um, helped create the the Chumbi and um, a mm. number of other things. Yeah. And he, it's a really interesting book. He's um, he's got um, roots in, in in China and spent a lot of time there examining the differences between the. Um, the notion we have of of copyright and patents and all those other things and the way that they operate in um, in China, Shenzhen, and those areas. Um, that's a really fascinating book to look at in terms of this kind of conflict around um, the patent system. The other thing that is worth skimming through are the comments on the um, the story. We've got a link um, to the story on um, a site called techdirt.com, which doesn't sound particularly um prestigious but it's a uh, um the, the story that you know that there's some interesting comments down in the uh in the uh, below the fold um from people both understanding and misunderstanding and getting angry about um the us and other and just generally the system um it's one of those read it with a sense of uh you know detachment but um there's some there's also a few good points made yeah, you know, I don't know why it is, but it seems like anger is a good way that we're linking one of these articles to the next to the next here uh, for for our start. So the next one deals with um, 
unintentionally unimbeatable games. And and for some, uh, there are some people that want to get 100% on every game, complete everything, every story, find every Easter egg, missing treasure, whatever it might be. So this article, and I guess we're, we're a bit on an Ars Technica kick uh, this time around, um, there's a, a history of unbeatable games. I did a quick little skim through this. Um, I would say that of the bunch that are that are listed here that were at least at one point or another due to a bug or a flaw or whatever were deemed to be unbeatable, the one that I had maybe at least some experience on was Guitar Hero. And I was never so good that I could get 100% on every song anyway. But um, the example there was that it was physically, well, not physically, it was software limited impossible to strum fast enough to play a particular song at the beat that it was supposed to be played at. So you could not get full marks for that. But there are other ones. Yeah, here. this is the the sampling rate is fifteen per second or something, something like that. that, and this needed to go to sixteen yeah. or seventeen. <laughs> it goes or, yeah. to eleven. Yeah. Yes. Uh, exactly. It goes to eleven. <laughs> yeah. I w- w- what I found interesting about this article was um, I've I've played Knights of the Old Republic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not played Knights of the Old Republic two, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I, I I really wanted to go through and see how many of these games I was aware mm-hmm. of or had played. Right. Um, because I, I'm, I'm, I'm not somebody who has to get a hundred percent. I, I will, I will say I had guitar hero two, and I never got a hundred percent on any song, <laughs> right? <laughs> or no, I had garage band, garage yeah. band. That was it, which was the, the experience. So, so, um, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm so glad there are people who can do that. Uh, uh, so to, to me, this is one of those ones of making it unbeatable can be frustrating, right? Because, I mean, these are these are things that they broke the mechanic of the game or broke a level or whatever. Where you just couldn't get past right. it, right? You just could not win that thing, period. Um, but at the same time, if I'm playing the game, I'm playing it to have fun. And if I'm not having fun, I'm not going to play it anymore, right? <laughs> there's, um, there's some really interesting... So. Um, episodes in in this list though i i of the of the get of the list of x-men genesis yes the x-men genesis one is the one i was thinking <laughs> of as well there's a really fascinating one here and i've been never familiar with it i didn't play that game although i loved the x-men and those cartoons um and that period where evidently oh, yeah. it relied on a hardware feature um where if you reset the genesis console it um left a few bits of ram untouched so it told you that you needed to reset a computer on a level and you went around trying to find the button to reset this computer but actually the requirement was to reset the physical hardware in front of you and of course when they ported that to another device it didn't have the same thing which is really really interesting i I love that actually is one of those little tiny um easter eggs almost but also just um remembering chips challenge there just 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 i mean i never played chips challenge long enough to get to level 88 and i never played it on the on the atari links but uh i have no mouth and i must scream i never played that game i never heard of that game but it does just the name itself sounds terrifying um <laughs> i was a huge street, street fighter i am still a street, huge street fighter fan but i wasn't familiar with this particular um issue um on the game boy advance version from 2001 so yeah, really interesting uh, list. And again, I can imagine that you'd be yeah. really annoyed if you'd uh, spent a lot of time and had a specific version that you couldn't, <laughs> because of whatever reason, couldn't couldn't be beaten. <laughs> talking of yeah. uh, talking of cool uh, old games, though, 
I think this is one I shared with you both, um, which I it think was. is really interesting. Um, that NetHack, the game, is now a feature in the Museum of Modern Art. Uh, on the website, at least, you can uh, go and uh, have a look at it in the uh, in the video game collection. And um, NetHack, do both of you familiar with NetHack? I, I didn't play that this version at all. I played Rogue. And yeah, yeah, which yeah. was a derivative, right? right? Yes, but, yes, um, yeah, yeah. But it was super cool to see this. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's fascinating, and it's it's been this collaboratively built game over the course of thirty five years. So, so you know, it literally has had new things added to it, continu- almost continuously. Um, but it, yeah, it's very similar to Rogue. Uh, so it's a it's a Rogue like, if not if not the original Rogue. I never remember which way round they came, but I do find it. Fantastic, actually, that, that it's been included in uh, in the Museum of Modern Art and the and the Culture Museum. Yeah, I was trying to find that there was a there was a, a a little acronym in there which was the Dev Team thinks of everything, you know, which which I thought was super cool. So apparently, in the the forums in the community around this game, uh, there were people who were like, "Yes, of course, the Dev Team thinks of everything." So th- there's got to be like some super <laughs> code and super ways of beating certain particular things. And there's like, oh, of course they anticipated that, so they built something for it. So, uh, what what a great what a great open source story, right, Andy? I think so. I think so. And um, it's one of those things where it predates a lot of the tools we now use for open source, um, for, for con- contributing right. and collaborating. So I do think it's it's brilliant. It really was when I first started discovering that this, this thing called Unix existed for reasons and um, playing with text terminals. And um, yeah, I think it's open source, especially over that length of time and over a large community can easily become very fractious. Um, and, um, it's really nice to see that this one has succeeded and, and never had to, and of course it's continuously changed, but never had to sort of, there are, there are versions of NetHack and Rogue that have, you know, graphical interfaces and and have different ways of playing, but Uh fundamentally it's the same core thing, um, which I I still play. I still play on my phone a iPhone ported version of Rogue from time yeah. to time, mm-hmm. and, and it is definitely a game you cannot win. There's no way to win this game. Oh, sure. it's, it's just how long did you manage to survive before you well, I was, encountered when, a Kestrel that kicked your butt? Well, when we were talking about games that you can never <laughs> win, I was going to mention Star Wars Galaxies or World of Warcraft to Michael, but then uh, I thought I'd yeah. better of it because he'd probably start telling us all about one or both of them. <laughs> No, no, I wouldn't tell you anything about either of them. Now, I would tell you about the next version that's coming out uh, by the end right. of the year that brings dragons back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do you suppose there might be a VR version of World of Warcraft? Well, I, I think you could probably play one because, uh, you know, we've got uh, Luke out there uh, modding all these games, which I thought was a really cool article. Uh, I actually... Uh, was was watching a couple of the videos that are included of people testing out uh, different, you know, 3D games uh, that have been modded to uh, to work with a VR headset. Now, the 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 thing that's a little bit, I don't want to say frustrating. That's too strong of a word. But uh, I, I was uh, in the process of pressing the button to order a Quest Two. Wow! Because uh, I've got a bunch of. Uh, um, um, points uh that could cover it uh from a a work tool that we have and uh 
they dropped it out of the catalog right before I pressed no it. No way. It was there yesterday, <laughs> just like, but really? it's not today. It's what you're saying. Well, well, yesterday it was there, but it was back ordered, oh, right. quote unquote. Right. And it said it will become available, you know, in July. But then, yeah, but and now they just well, removed it. There is it. a rumor about the, the the fact that yeah, there there's something new coming. Um, yeah, got, but that just that it was like. Ah! Well, as we as we said on the show before, <laughs> I do have one, but again, I'm well. I think part of it is just that I split my attention between so many different devices. Um, I've, yep. I've got the Switch, the Steam Deck, the Xbox, the, the phone, the and the iPad, which I can do game streaming on, um, and the VCS and the Quest and lots of other things to spiddle with. And these are all first world problems and not look at me showing off about how many devices, but actually to some extent it ruins the, it does, it does diminish the experience because I don't spend as long, um, with any of them really. So um, I've yet to play with things we've spoken about on the show, like, you know, Horizon Worlds, meeting friends and all those kind of things um, that I am looking forward to doing. I just haven't got around to because I've been playing with other things. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you know, and I remember early in my journey in getting into computers and technology, right? You spent a lot of time, effort, and money buying that one thing yeah. and you went really deep. But as you say, there's a plethora of toys I'm, now. I'm, and you don't have time to take any of them deep I'm enough. I'm still going really deep. I, I, I took delivery of some uh, Raspberry Pi Pico Ws this morning, which are completely the other end of the spectrum and totally different thing. But they announced them yesterday, so I had to have them. So they were through the door this morning. So oh, I'm going to be playing with those the weekend, I can tell. Um, and, you know, I've got LED, flashy LED panels that, that light up and I can program in MicroPython. But that all takes away time from from gaming. So I love I love doing all the things, but I have to pick one at some point. Yes, really, really intriguing. And and Michael, I'm glad you found this. That this this Luke Ross article was was really um, something else. When you're looking at how is he doing this, because he's backed yeah. in a uh, open source kind of fashion, right? So Patreon backers yep. are the ones giving money, and <clears throat> the and really intriguing thing is he's maintaining them because oftentimes you see with um, that kind of a, a funding model, someone will subscribe a bit and then they're gone, right? Mm. Uh, he's managed to steadily keep a number of these folks engaged. Uh, and he's doing things that game studios aren't, which kind of makes me think a little bit like, well, you know, the, inte the intellectual property is really the game designer and producer and distributor as opposed to this particular individual. Um, so he, is he doing something that's creating a good? Yes. Um, he, but he's doing something with the content from another group of people who are also out there making a living too. Imagine yeah. that. So well, almost a little bit like the patent story we, we covered, almost. Let's not try and to try to track him down because that's not his real name. Um, but it is yeah, fascinating. Right. I agree. I think oh, I think the fact that he's called out, um, it's actually just under the uh, the chart showing his um, potential or people's views of what he might be earning, um, is talking about the fact that um, in a modern game, you are... Uh, essentially a camera person inside a giant film set created by the game and, and that you're presented with that through a flat you know uh 2d screen but all you need to do in principle is tweak it so that with with through a vr headset you are in the point of the camera um uh -huh. yourself yep. it's uh it's quite interesting having said that is it also calls out the fact that every time these games get updated he has to go ahead and <laughs> patch them all redo again, them so. 
<laughs> redo all his work. <laughs> well, so this is some work that's not being redone. Um, and it's hard to believe that Atari is 50 years old um, this year. And uh, we've seen plenty of collections of retro games of one sort or another. I was watching a little bit of Yar's Revenge, which I did not play very much of when I was uh, still getting involved with Atari. But there's plenty of other ones in there. Uh, that are available and they're being all packaged up for a, uh, what they're calling a massive 90, more than 90 game bundle across all the Atari platforms. So, uh, and it's available for Switch, Andy. So that's something that you and I might be able to enjoy come November. Yeah, but this isn't the thing that I um, thought it was actually the story because there's also not just the greatest hits big bundle. There's also, they're, they're doing this, uh, this this kind of unique game that blends elements or characters from all of them, right? Uh, oh, that's true. That this this, this the inspired version, the, right? The anniversary is it the anniversary celebration, or is that in fact what this is? And I'm just getting it's just been reported in different ways. There there oh, there's six there's, six new games in this package, right, 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 right. And maybe that's where those mergers are that you're. Thinking of, and some of them weren't all that great. Like I remember, um, who's it? Who's it? <laughs> really? Is it Nam? Is it Namco or the ones that did Pac-Man? But when then there was an inspired by Pac-Man kind of. Oh, that one was yeah, horrible. I was like, oh, you know, okay, maybe it's inspired by. I was like, they 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 did like um, what was it? Pac-Man Party or something like yeah, that on the iPhone, something like that, and that was just horrible. horrible. No, the one I'm thinking of, um, the game I'm thinking of is, is called Atari Mania. Which is um, it was this? This is about. This was about two weeks ago. This was this was announced um, or, or rumored. Um, Atari Mania. So I'm, right, I'm adding it right now. Um, so it um, it's also coming to, to the Switch and the PC, but um, it talks about mashup. So it describes here the players fighting against centipedes using pong paddles, for example. Um, 150 wild, wild microgames spanning the breadth of the Atari catalog. Now, it's possible that this is um, part of the same thing, but this is talking about a character called the caretaker of the Atari Vault, um, where there's you know there is a story on the back of that. Now, um, the other mm. thing I want to mention is the the VCS and the stuff that Atari's been doing with its back catalog through that. So they've been doing the Atari Reloaded series, which is really good i mean i must say some of the reloaded games black widow reloaded um centipede reloaded they're really good games um they're still very much the classic gameplay but just amped up with modern uh graphics music um doing some some unique things sometimes but otherwise still recognizably that same game from the 1970s or 80s um so now those are available beyond the VCS typically, so I've seen them released mm. on on mm-hmm. other platforms as well. But um, I have the VCS and uh, the Linux based machine, and that's it, it, they're perfectly playable on there. And of course, the Steam Deck is also a uh, um, uh, Linux based machine now. So um, it's incredible where Linux gaming has come to. But, well, going um, back to your Sega con- comment, though, Andy, this is also where the hardware becomes really important. Mm. The action of the Atari joystick, oh, as yes. good or as bad as they are, is kind of important. And shoot, you cannot play Millipede unless you've got a trackball. Got the, you just got, can't. Yes. Well, oh, and, and, a big and some of them ball. with the joystick. The, the nice thing with the um, yeah. the VCS is the 
the joystick again is the classic joystick, but it has a little extra thing, which is you can do motion controls with the by or, or controls by twisting the joystick as well as by pushing it left, right, up and down, you know, and, and pressing the button. It's got it's got a, got a few extra sort of elements to it. So there's definitely some. But, but Michael, you did it exactly right with the trackball. The bzz, bzz, bzz. so so yeah, yeah, here's yeah. Andy, where your you your technology of, uh, and capability with the new Raspberry Pis combined with soldering skills combined with others could actually do all the things that are needed to make that retro game really come alive. <laughs> Maybe even in VR, <laughs> millipede yeah. in VR. No, I don't know. If I want that. That would that might be scary. Yikes. <laughs> the scorpion zipping across the screen in front of you no i don't want that nobody wants that um nobody wants that well team we're, we're getting close to time so we have a couple of quick hitters to leave us as we go so andy you had something called Bitburner you wanted to talk about for a minute oh just something that i came across my screen last weekend which was um uh, an article from hackaday which is one of the hardware hacking websites i spent a lot of time on and they were talking about a game set in um, 2077, um, if you're a Cyberpunk 2077 fan. Um, But it's a hacking game. It runs in a browser. It can also, it's also available as Steam. Um, It kind of teaches you a bit of Unix. It teaches you a bit of programming and coding and and hacking skills. It's text-based, text-terminal-based. But um, it's a fun thing. Yeah, you can just, you can just click through, um, play it directly on, on the GitHub page that it's on, that that it's, um, uh, available from and uh i mean there's some some comments in here about how we'll still be using green screen terminals in 2077 and still more or less i mean it's it's kind of it's actually reminds me of a couple of other hacking type games like this that i've i've played that, are, that aren't open source or, or free but um they're, they're also quite useful for skilling up uh, in terms of thinking through puzzles and thinking about how to do network interactions and things yeah, yeah, like like NetHack cool. on a green mm-hmm. screen. That would be fun too. Uh, Michael, you had something fun—a a looper uh, that you were showing us and letting us hear earlier. Yes, as a matter of fact, uh, while we were just talking, I just converted the sound set on it. So this is the the Orba by Art Artifone, and so I just reprogrammed it to be the cartridge Artifone sound set. So that's the baseline. And you can do vibrations and stuff. And let's uh, let's see what the chorus sounds like. Right. Ah. So each different little program allows you to put it into a different mode. So that's the uh, the cartridge one. I figured that would kind of fit the eight bit vibe yeah. we were talking about. Or you know. Yeah. 80s, early 90s sound stage for for some of the video. Games. Nearly had a the but, close uh, encounters cool little theme uh, there in the beginning. Yeah, almost, oh. almost. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, something fun uh, to play with. Uh, it allows you to uh, record loops and play them back and lay down other tracks. Uh, and you know, uh, the the ad for it is you know half the size of a grapefruit. So a grapefruit cut in half. <laughs> to me, it's more like a navel yeah, orange. That's, that's a little um, bit small for a grapefruit. Yeah, well, yeah. Maybe people to get those giant grapefruits. That's what I would do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but good, good, fun stuff and something you know, just kind of play around a little awesome. bit with. 
Well, team and listening audience, thank you again for uh, spending another good quality half hour-ish or so. We would you normally say a commute, but you know the commute could be from your bedroom to your <laughs> your kitchen table uh, just these walk days. Very slowly, just just walk, just walk very, very slowly. slowly. Yes, listening. or. or or walk around your garden. Play us on 2X and yeah, walk slowly. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for joining us again. We hope you enjoyed this. We hope you come back. Uh, do drop us a line. Um, if you are a new listener, we'd love to hear from you. If you are a 100% club listener, uh, we would absolutely love to hear from you. And uh, we'll give you the appropriate shout out. So let, let's see how many of those we might get. You never know. But Woo-hoo. anyway, you will find us again back here on gamesatwork.biz in, what would we say? Another week? About, About a week. A week. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. See ya. You've been listening to GamesAtWork.biz, the podcast about gaming technology and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at GamesAtWork underscore biz or at our website at GamesAtWork.biz. GamesAtWork.biz.